Welcome to the Partners Financial Podcast, a podcast designed for you with insights from fellow members as well as NFP and Partners Financial experts. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Partners Financial Podcast. I'm Kristen Bulat, and today I am joined by the incomparable Bill Bell, who is ADP Advanced Design um, with Pacific Life's Advanced Markets. Hi, Bill. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great, Kristen. How are you? Things are great. It's, you know, Austin's doing well. So, um, but we've been hearing a lot coming out of Washington lately, haven't we? A, a thing or two. Uh, every once in a while, a, a kernel of actual information comes out. Uh, it, it's usually buried in a whole lot of snow, but every once in a while, you get a piece of information that's actually useful. Mm-hmm. And the trick has been separating what is just a news story that's driving clickbait and what we actually need to pay attention to. So from your standpoint, what are some of the things that you guys are paying attention to? Yeah, so when I look at tax reform, uh, there's a lot of noise, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on things that could potentially happen. Uh, the wealth tax is often bantied about. I don't think that's realistic. Taking away step up in basis and assets when they're transferred at death or during lifetime uh, or, or in taxing capital gains immediately. I, I don't think that that's likely either. I think that those things are probably just too esoteric and too tough to administer. And so when I talk about tax reform and things that really would would uh, affect the advanced markets, advanced life insurance planning, I really look at five specific things. Uh, and they kind of run the gamut in between transfer tax planning and then business planning. So do you want me to kind of run through all five of those uh, real yeah, quickly? That'd be great. Hit us with your top five. All right. So number one is I think that ultimately what they're going to wind up doing is just dropping the transfer tax exemption back down and then raising the rate. So everybody that's listening here will remember that as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, what they basically did is they took the $5 million uh, and and doubled it to make it a $10 million exemption, uh, indexed it for inflation, kept portability. So this year we've got an $11.7 million exemption goes up slightly every single year and deceased spouses can use a, or a, a surviving spouse could use a deceased spouse's unused exemption with portability. Now they've talked about potentially preserving that because it's already scheduled to go back to that $5 million level in 2026 uh, and then basically replacing it with the, uh, the loss and step up in basis on the assets transferred at death. Again, I just don't think that that's realistic. I think it's too hard to administer. So I think ultimately what they'll wind up doing is dropping that exemption back down. And I think the most realistic uh, outcome is that they basically drop it back to where it was pre-TICJA, the $5 million index for inflation going forward with portability. But I think there'll be a second piece on top of that is I think that they'll raise the rate. It's 40% now. It was 40% prior to TICJA. I think either they'll raise the rate for everybody or they'll do a tiered system where you have uh, a state's worth a certain amount, which will be taxed at 40%. And then once you go above a, ne- a certain threshold, 50%. And then maybe for like the ultra fluent, once you go over like a billion dollars or something like that, you might go to up to 60% or maybe even 70%. Who knows what that will be? But I think that's what you're going to see as far as transfer taxes go. 
Um, again, a lot of noise about the wealth tax. I, I don't think that I'll, anybody outside of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders think that that's a good idea. And, and frankly, I don't think it's a good idea either. What do you think about the conversation we've been hearing about decoupling the state and gift tax? It's a possibility. Obviously, we had that prior to uh, 2011. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's a possibility that you could have different exemption amounts for the gift tax and the uh, estate tax. In fact, when President Biden was candidate Biden, that is what he uh, specifically had in his tax plan at that point there. Again, I just think that when push comes to shove, the way that legislation is written is they just do whatever is easiest. Mm-hmm. And I think the easiest thing for them to do will just be, let's take away that tax cut that happened in 2017 and go back to how it was pre-2017, because that seems to work pretty well for those people that are now going to be pushing tax reform here. So mm-hmm. it's a possibility, but I don't think it's a likelihood. Okay. All right. So that was your first one. What else do you have? Number two is I think that you will see an increase in the corporate tax rate. Um, this was being discussed as a potential pay for for the infrastructure plan. Uh, I don't think it's going to be part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill that might actually get voted on here in the next three to four weeks. Um, uh, but I do think that it ultimately will be part of the reconciliation package that gets pushed through later this year. And make no mistake, That will happen either sometime this year or early next year. Um, And I think that you'll see a rate of anywhere from 25% to 28%, somewhere in that range. Um, Low end 25%, high end 28%. But I I do want the listeners to remember that it will be different than it was previously. Because remember, before TICJA, it was a graduated rate where it was kind of like personal income taxes, where the more income a business had, the higher rate it would be at going up to 35%. So while people talk about that top 35% rate, and that's what the corporate tax rate was, you had to reach a certain income threshold before you got there. I think it was $5 million of net income before you got to the 35% rate. Right now, it's uh, 21% on dollar one. And so if they increase that rate and don't change how the tax rate, rates work, even if they only, only go up to 25%, that's 4%, but on dollar one. And so it would, it would really uh, be a large tax increase for C corporations, uh, both mid size, small size, and obviously for large size businesses as well. So it would really have a, a pretty massive effect. So that's my number two. Okay. And what about then, since we were talking about C-Corps, is your number three, the 199A pass That is my number three. So uh, one of the other things that's being discussed is uh, basically creating parity with all of the businesses out there from a 199A perspective. So Kristen, you'll remember, uh, not, not everybody that's listening will remember, but you'll certainly remember that when they created 199A, there was mass confusion over what was a specified service trader business and what was a non-specified service trader business. Mm -hmm. And that was critically important because specified service trader businesses had that income uh, phase out where uh, if you made over a certain amount that it was $400,000 to start as a married couple, you would be phased, you would be uh, completely phased out of the 199A qualified business income deduction. And uh, non-specified service trader businesses didn't have that same income phase out. They had something called the wages and capital test. What I think that they're going to probably do, or at least can strongly consider, 
is creating parity and basically putting that income threshold uh, across the board for all past serenities. So uh, businesses that in the past were able to take advantage of that 199A deduction because they were a non-service-based business might lose that qualified business income deduction should that uh, actually come into play. And I, and I think that there is a strong likelihood of that happening. Yes. And I, I do have to say that I bet it's not just me that remembers that because there was a lot of question about where life insurance uh, producers fell in, in that conversation. So that our whole audience's eyelids are twitching at that memory of where are we and what, what do we, what, what's our 199 deduction? That, that's very true. I, in fact, I, I'm still a little surprised at what the ultimate outcome was. I was happily surprised. Uh, I thought for sure that life insurance producers would be a, a specified service trader business, but it turns out that they weren't, well, yes. it, as long as they were a pure a pure um, product provider, a product mm-hmm. salesman. So, yep. And that feels like a pin second plug right there, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does, yes. <laughs> All right, so that was your top three. We've got two more, right? We have two more. Uh, number four, uh, again, is going to be a, an easy one. It's just an increase to the top uh, marginal bracket. Um, it's 37% now. Uh, I think that they'll push it back to 396 Uh, That was the magic number uh, under the Clinton administration. That was the top rate. That was the top rate under the Obama administration. One of the things that uh, TICJA did, uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, of 2017, is that increase the size of the brackets. Um, and so you might see some shrinkage of the individual brackets. Uh, but President Biden has said that he doesn't want to increase marginal income tax rates on anybody that's making less than $400,000. So I think you're really going to just see kind of some tweaking in at the top end of that marginal bracket and, and a pushback from 37% to 39.6. And again, you'll remember that that was kind of a last minute ad to TICJA. They didn't have that in the initial drafts of the bill. It was a last minute ad to basically cut that top rate from 39.6 to 37%. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they'll probably push it back to 39.6. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so what's your last one? Last one is probably the one that will be the most controversial, not necessarily for our listeners, but for the finance community at large. And that is, uh, essentially, uh, capital gains tax treatment going away for people with a sizable amount of investment income. So this has been bandied about a lot. And I, th- I do think that there's uh, uh, some fire behind this smoke here. This is one of those where I think that there's actual, actually a kernel of truth in all the snow. Um, it, they've been talking about for individuals with a million dollars of income or more, basically taxing everything as pure income, no longer providing capital gains treatment for uh, things like the sale of stock and so forth. So, I mean, generally we think of uh, things like mutual funds and stocks as capital gains assets, but if you've got somebody that's over that income threshold and they lose that ability, everything's going to be taxed at 39.6. Or if you add on the Obamacare medic surtax, which is still there, uh, that brings it up to what would that be? 43.43.2. Uh, 43. Um, my math is never that good. I do words generally, not uh, not math. 43.4, I guess it would be. Um, but uh, uh, that that's something that I could see. Now, one of the things that I think that they changed is in regards to the talking points around this. Is recently I've heard that it's 
not necessarily a million dollars of income that they're going to be focused on. It's a million dollars of investment income. So if you've got a doctor that, say, makes a million dollars a year from his or her practice um, and then has income uh, from investments on top of that, unless that income from investments is over a million dollars, they might still get capital gains uh, treatment on their investment portfolio. So that's going to be something really careful uh, that we're going to have to carefully watch. And it's going to have a, a major impact in the financial planning community, because obviously, uh, when you're talking about a difference between a 20% top rate and a 39.6% rate, uh, that's going to that's really change investment philosophy for a lot of people. Yeah, it absolutely will. And, you know, I, these, the top five that you have are pretty consistent with what we've heard from lots of different avenues. But I'm interested in how you're using these top five as you work with firms and, and their advisors to really sort of address the planning and, and you know, work on the now what? What do I do? How do I get ready? What can I, you know, what is there anything I can be doing? Yeah, there's a, there's a few different things that we're certainly doing right now. Um, one, in regards to wealth uh, transfer planning, the estate planning marketplace, uh, the, 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 the word of the day and the word, actually the word of the decade has been flexibility. Uh, we are imploring everybody that will listen that when you're doing your estate planning, build in as much flexibility as possible. And that goes for both the actual vehicles you're using to convey wealth from one generation to the next, be it uh, trusts or LLCs or whatever it may be that the client is actually going to be using uh, upon the advice of their legal advisor. And then at the same time, also uh, to uh, make sure to build flexibility into their life insurance products. Uh, because if things change in the future, you're going to want to have the ability to change both the planning itself. So you're going to want trusts with things like slap provisions and loan provisions and substitution provisions and so forth. But if the need for the insurance changes or uh, the risk tolerance changes, you're going to want the ability to change that as well. And as much as we all love kind of your, your traditional term to 120 type of product, it's turned to 120. There's not a lot of flexibility there if things change going for go go forward. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's kind of been the focus of our wealth transfer talks is making sure to build in as much flexibility as possible. From a business planning standpoint, there's so many great opportunities out there right now, and the tax law changes uh, only make that better. Uh, when you're talking about C corporations and a potential rate going up. That's just going to make Coley and, and any kind of business on life insurance look that much better. Uh, and one of the key differences now versus in the past is since the C corporations now are taxed at dollar one versus kind of this graduated system that we had prior to 2017, this might open up more opportunities for kind of mid-market Coley, where you're not looking at these giant businesses that are looking at, at Coley, but you're looking at mid-sized businesses that have good income, but they're now taxed at maybe a 28% rate and they're looking to put money in a tax-deferred vehicle. And life insurance provides them with the key person protection they need and cash-deferred cash accumulation for things like executive benefits or any other uh, business needs that they might have. So uh, obviously an increasing uh, tax environment for C-corporations makes business-owned, corporate-owned life insurance that much better. For the pastor entities, the loss of the 199A deduction just opens up that split funded market, split funded defined benefit plan marketplace that much more. Um, since uh, TICCHA has come into play, that's kind of been one of our go-tos is 
having looking having these business owners look at their uh, their income statements and then see a can I afford to institute a split funded defined benefit plan to provide myself with a predictable source of retirement income and then b if I put one of those in place, does it put me in a better position to get that qualified business income deduction? That conversation just gets that much bigger if every if every passer entity is now going to be subject to the same income limitation here. So I think that we might see a lot of push for things that are going to drive deductions at the business level, like the, like a defined benefit plans. And we still sell quite a bit of life insurance in defined benefit plans in conjunction with those types of plans. And then when you're talking about raising personal income taxes uh, or doing away with capital gains taxes, you're just thinking about the good old fashioned LERP, life insurance retirement plan, life insurance retirement strategy, life insurance for living life, whatever acronym is currently being used here. But what we're really referring to is just either a personally funded or trust owned policy that is going to be used as a potential source of supplemental retirement income. And when I say trust on, I usually mean in conjunction with like a flat or multiple flats, uh, just depending on the individual individual client. But having life insurance as part of that retirement income portfolio does a few things. Obviously, again, provides death benefit protection. We can never discount that. That's the primary use of life insurance in all cases. You get the tax deferred growth. You get the tax-free distributions. Uh, you might have it, uh, either a chronic illness or a long-term care rider on there if, if necessary. Uh, but it helps diversify your retirement income at, at tax uh, profile because we know that regardless of whether uh, the top income tax rate is 39.6 or 50% and whether or not you have capital gains treatment on the sale of a stock portfolio, a properly structured life insurance policy provide distributions that are taxed at a 0% rate. Um, and so uh, diversifying the tax risk associated with your retirement uh, income portfolio is critically important in this kind of changing tax environment. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you agree that the answer to all of the questions is life insurance. Well, I'm biased. Uh, <laughs> I think life insurance is a answer to many of these questions. It's not the only answer, uh, but I, I, I tend to think uh, that we have a great story to tell uh, when we're talking about life insurance planning, uh, especially since I think a lot of people have kind of reconsidered the importance of life insurance planning post-pandemic here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you, know, you guys at Pacific Life have a lot of vehicles that are well-suited to helping clients address all of these concerns, whether it's the individual, the transfer tents, or the business market. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I'm not going to go into any kind of detail because I'm not a product expert, but obviously we continue to sell a lot of indexed universal life. Uh, We're the number one uh, seller of IUL. Uh, We have a really robust portfolio of, of variable universal life products. And so for firms that do a lot of variable business out there, I think that we have some really nice offerings. And if they haven't looked at Pacific Life for variable in a long, in a long time, I would urge them to do that. And then last year, uh, it was bad timing, but uh, it's starting to pick up some steam now. Uh, we actually launched a turnkey a deferred comp platform called Keep, uh, Key Executive Advantage Program. Uh, in fact, a couple of people uh, near and dear to the partner's financial 
membership's hearts uh, are, are are key uh, players in that particular program. And so uh, if you have clients out there looking to put executive benefit plans in place for kind of that mid-market business, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a good it's a good program. It's got a lot of nice features to it, and I urge you to reach out to your Pacific Life representative to get more information. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your time today, Bill. It's nice to have a conversation about potential tax reform and come away feeling like we've got strategies, we've got solutions, we can adapt and you know use life insurance and you know professional expertise like you and and a lot of the platforms you put together to really provide solutions to clients and their advisors. Yeah, and uh, can I get in a couple of plugs here before we uh, wrap it up? Sure, plug away. Well, first of all, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't plug uh, my own podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, Pacific Life has a podcast. We call it The Life Podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Uh, or you can actually uh, uh, see all the episodes on uh, our website, which is uh, available at lifeinsurance.pacificlife.com. Uh, not only is the podcast there, but a lot of other great uh, reference materials. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, that podcast is hosted by myself and Stephen Mitchell, who runs our product marketing area. And I think most of our listeners today will be familiar with one or both of us. And I think that we keep them relatively lighthearted and uh, and uh, but uh, informational. I think that you get a lot out of those. So uh, definitely check that out. And then I just want to give a plug to my the Advanced Designs Unit at Pacific Life. Uh, I like to say that we will take the Pepsi Challenge against any other carrier's advanced planning unit out there. And we do a lot of work with Kristen and her team and uh, and the Partners Financial Membership. And we are there to help you with your cases. So. Don't hesitate to reach out to us if you've got those I got a client scenarios or you want to know what's going on with tax reform or you heard something through the grapevine and you just want confirmation. That's what we're there to help you with. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that and your time and definitely feel free to reach out to Bill or to me and the team. We're all here to help you. So thanks for your time today, Bill. Happy to be here. Thank you.